This time on the Cameron Journal Podcast, we are talking to Thomas DeNoville. He is a person who works with people on creating a journaling practice and making that an important part of their lives and their creativity and their productivity. Um, we also talk about music for a little bit um, and just kind of talk about creativity and productivity. He's a super fascinating person. Um, it's an interesting interview in the kind of random style you know how I do. So uh, tune in, strap in. This is Thomas Arnoville, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. This is the Cameron Journal Podcast. It's a place where we talk about important things. It's a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you. It's a place where we do important things, have important conversations. It's also things that I like to talk about. My name is Cameron Cowan, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. Hello. Hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and yourself? I'm doing very well, thank you. Excellent, excellent. Oh, all right. Well, how are you today? How's the afternoon? It's going well. Um, we have a winter advisory, so it's pretty cold and windy, um, but it's cozy inside, so everything's okay. Yes, you're in upstate New York, aren't you? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you? Fabulous sunny Seattle, oh. by which I mean it's not fabulous and it's pouring down rain outside. Um, <laughs> but it's yeah, a very nice city. So. It, it is, um, especially the thing I love most about Seattle is the variety of food. Mm -hmm. So, I like, I mean, I can, you know, I love Asian food and, you know, all the subsections of that. Like, I love, like, Vietnamese pho you know, pork bun, Taiwanese pork buns, you mm -hmm. know, I like, I love going to like a hole in the wall sushi place. This chef does not speak English. The sushi is amazing. Like I love that sort of thing um, about Seattle. Cause I grew up in Denver where that was mm -hmm. not as common. So that's what I, I love about Seattle. So it's, it's what helps me put up with the rain. <laughs> when I get fat, I order some delicious food, and that's how I handle the rain. So, Excellent. But, yeah, so, all right, so here's the format. Here's what's going to happen. Um, I am going to um, wait 10 seconds, and then I'm going to do a short interview today on the Cameron Cowan show we have sort of thing. And then... <laughs> Um, we're going to launch right into your introduction. So sort of a name, rank, and serial number situation. Um, mm -hmm. All you have to do is uh, you know, kind of say who you are, what you do, that sort of thing. And then we'll get into some deeper questions and talk about what you do creatively. Okay. Yeah. And at the end, we'll do plugs. You can plug whatever it is that you're doing, where people can find you online. And then when you stop speaking at the end of that, I'm going to wait 10 seconds for editing and then we can have after banter and all that sort of thing. So, Sounds good. Awesome. awesome. We'll begin. Here we go. Today on the Cameron Journal podcast, we welcome Thomas DeNovia to the podcast. We're going to talk about 
journaling and creativity and his new service to help you kickstart your journaling habit if you don't already have one. So welcome, Thomas. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me, Cameron. Excellent. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your creativity and how you got into this whole journaling idea? Because I'm I'm sure you just didn't wake up one day and come up with this. I'd be very interested to see the pathway how you got here. (laughs) No, absolutely. Um, I I see journaling as a big part of creativity. And, um, And I think that I've been creative ever since I was a kid. Um, I remember writing plays or writing stories on my my typewriter when I was maybe six or seven years old. So uh, I think I've had a a very rich um, inner life, creative life um, since his childhood. But then when I I entered um, my late teenage years, um, I think that I, I felt a need to to explore more the this this inner worlds and uh and understand my mind better so i kind of have a conversation with myself better and uh, naturally i just gravitated towards journaling it felt quite natural uh, to carry just a notebook with me and start writing um i remember um in the late 90s flying to dublin for a week um i play irish music that's that's one of my passions and uh, i decided to go to dublin to play irish music for a week so i went with my instruments i didn't know anybody uh, and I ended up playing every night. So spending a, a week alone in, in a town where I was basically doing stuff at night but not much during the day, uh, I remember journaling quite a lot uh, there. Um, so anyway, I've been I've been journaling for something like 20 years now, and um, and it's been so beneficial to me and my creative practice that I've I've considered uh, sharing what I know and helping people with their practice. Yeah, I'm 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 curious about the creative practice aspect. So I have I have I've kind of a tortured relationship with journaling. I like it. It's very helpful. Do I always take the time to do it as much as I should? Absolutely not. Um when I was growing up, um I uh I was homeschooled and one of the things I had to do was journal. So it became like a school thing, which made it really boring, which made me never want to do it. And then I didn't for a long, long time. And I have slowly but surely started to like pick it back up again. Um, how, how does, what are, what would you say are the benefits to your creative practice by doing this journaling sort of thing? Because I'm, I'm mixed on it. I, I can see where it could help. But I'm also like, yeah, I also wrote three books and didn't journal the whole time, so who cares? Like, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, um, I think for one, when you when you have a creative practice, um, I think I, I personally struggle with my mind, right? And I think that's a lot of people experience this too. People might call it the critic, you know, the inner critic, um, but you can just simply call it your mind. And um, one of the ways to to get to know your mind and understand it and kind of work around uh, the obstacle that the the mind puts in front of you when you're trying to create something. Uh, For me, journaling is very, is very powerful. Uh, So simply by sitting down and kind of doing a a download, a very rough download of what's going on in my mind at a very specific time uh, is helpful. Uh, Another way journaling is helpful is um, when, when I'm playing with ideas. So, um, 
I'm not uh, always as lucky as as today, where I can be talking to somebody about these kind of topics. So, so very, you know, a lot of, a lot of creativity, a lot of uh, art is 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 a very uh, lonely activity. Um, so, journaling enables me to go through those ideas, stretch them, analyze them, uh, connect them with other ideas on paper in real time, uh, in a way in a way that I can click quickly access uh, later on. Um, so these are the two main ways I think that uh, that creative journaling helps with creativity. Absolutely, I I get that. Is what is your favorite method of journaling? I went to a digital process a, a couple years ago. Journaling is one of the few things I still do in pen and paper. How about you? Yeah, um, you know I, I'm. I'm biased towards pen and paper. Um, I, I enjoy the ability to, you know, carry a notebook at all times and a pen. Um, my notebook will never run out of batteries, uh, so that's that's a plus. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, um, I work in technology, and I, I'm also attracted to the digital aspects and what digital journaling can bring. You know, the ability to to tag your entries, do some search and things like that. So, um, so that's something that's also appealing to me. And I've been using an app called Diary uh, to to uh, journal digitally. But most of the time, um, I work with pen and paper. Yeah, I I do keep a little kind of. I use Evernote. My life is in Evernote. My books start in Evernote. My life lives in Evernote. I can never lose that password. I will know nothing about my own life. Um, and I do kind of keep a small journal in there because I like to, when I'm on the go, I like to write on my phone. So I totally get the, the app aspect, aspect of it. Um, here's a very writerly question for you that people like to debate. What is your favorite type of notebook? My favorite type of notebook is actually an artist's sketchbook. Um, I've been using the console, uh, the French uh, sketchbooks for artists. So they are hardbound yeah. uh, black uh, notebooks, about half of a letter size page. Um, so eight and a half by five and a half. And they are blank. There's no lines. The paper is fairly thick because it's a sketchbook which means that I can use different kind of pens. I can glue stuff if I want to. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to see the ink go through through the paper. So uh, I really enjoy this blank canvas. Um, uh, so I, I can really, yeah, I can sketch if I want to. I can take notes. I can turn the, the journal and write, you know, vertically instead of horizontally. So I really enjoy the freedom that this blank canvas gives me. So that's definitely my favorite. No, I'm so glad you said that because I am the same. I don't like lined pages. I much prefer it blank because I, I have terrible handwriting. And so I write really big. <laughs> so I like to have the space to write as big or as small as I, as I want to. And on paper, I am the same. I go at great expense. I order these lovely hand-cut, hand-bound notebooks from a little tiny shop called Papier Plus in Paris. And it's like 75 euros to get them over here. So I only order them once every once in a great while because it's so expensive. But they are <laughs> absolutely perfect and wonderful and amazing. And, and I found that shop by accident. I literally was walking down a street leaving a museum. And I was like, oh, a notebook shop. I guess I'll go in and look. And it was just wall to wall, colorful, wonderful notebooks. And I'm like, I could be shot right now and be totally happy. Like man dies in paper shop, but smile on face <laughs> sort of thing. So yeah, I'm glad you said that because I mean, I'm exactly, 
I'm exactly the same way. So enough about me, though. I've talked way too much during this interview. I apologize. Um, if someone wants to start a journaling practice, what would be some tips to get their journaling practice off the ground? Sure. Um, I think, first of all, you have to start gradually, right? If you've never really um, tried journaling or have had this, this conversation with yourself, just start very short and set short goals. Um, so it's okay to sit down and write for five minutes. It's totally fine. And that, that, that's perfectly fine. If you, if you can sustain that for a few days and then you can go up a little bit and then fairly soon, I feel that your thoughts are going to catch up with you. And when your mind realizes that what you can do by journaling, I think that the, your journaling sessions are going to kind of, um, increase in length fairly organically. Um, I think a, a very important point when starting to journal is, is really to shut off, um, um, the, the, the critic, basically. Um, for, for people who have never journaled, it can feel kind of awkward or um, uh, people can feel self-conscious journaling. Uh, it's important to remember that journaling is writing for yourself. Um, some people publish their journaling, um, but, but most of the time it's just for you. You're just writing for yourself. So um, it's okay to make grammar mistakes. It's okay to not have complete sentences. It's okay to ramble. It's okay to complain. It's okay to whine. Um, and, and I think that's an important point uh, because, you know, you use the same hand that you use to write letters and, you know, sign documents and uh, IRS forms and stuff like that. Uh, so I feel that you, there's a connection with, between your mind and your hand. And I feel that the, the editor is almost like embedded in muscle memory. And, um, and, and, and you have to go beyond that uh, when you start journaling. You have to break out of this and find this freedom uh, to really just, just let it go and, and, and let, let what comes out come out, basically. So these are the two things that I would recommend, right? So kill the critic, be very careful, don't edit. Maybe don't read even, you know, you just write for five minutes, you just close your notebook, and then tomorrow you show up again and you write for five minutes. Who cares? Uh, and then starting with small goals to try to build that practice. And then soon enough, um, you'll be able to write more. Um, but, you know, in terms of length, in terms of duration or... Um, it's really up to you. You know, sometimes you'll feel that you need to write more and you'll be sitting down for an hour. And sometimes, you know, it's just five minutes because that's all you have to tell yourself. Um, so um, I think setting goals for oneself is fine, but uh, but you have to be very, very flexible with them too. Yes. No, and I, that's, that's, I think, a very interesting sort of, sort of thing. I think writers, I think the trouble with journaling for writers, it's like, oh my God, more writing. And if I have time to journal, shouldn't I be also working on my book sort of thing? Um, but it is nice to be able to sort of break all the rules and do all the things one is not supposed to do and, and just kind of be free. And I think that's important. I think it's a nice, you know, it's a nice, it's a nice thing to do. So I can see a, a benefit of, of journaling, of journaling there. Now, when it comes mm -hmm. to, other writing do you write besides your journaling or is that your main writing vehicle no my main writing vehicle is is my blog and and the newsletter that i send twice a month um yeah. so that's really where i i you know i i think um i think through my process i explore ideas i develop ideas and i make them public you know so uh, so that's my main avenue for for writing 
Yeah, well, you should tell us about your blog and your newsletter. What do you cover? What do you write about? Sure. Well, pretty much, you know, what we've been talking about. Um, ultimately, I'm interested in creativity, uh, but I'm interested also in all the things that, uh, at least for me, contribute to a, a successful, rewarding, creative life. So journaling is one of them I, f I find is very, very important. Another aspect of understanding your mind and conversing with your mind is meditation, which is something that I practice too. So I'm going to start blogging more about this. And then um, another aspect that is also very important in my personal practice and for creativity in general is, is sleep, sleep habits, sleep quality, and dreams. And um, I, I rarely see people talk about sleep and dreams in the context of creativity, at, at least in the books that I've been reading or the people that I follow. Um, but there's, for me, there's a direct connection um, through your mind, psychologically, uh, spiritually, if you're interested in that, but also physiologically, right? Um, uh, there, there is this, this cliche, this romantic cliche of the, um, the artist burning the midnight oil and, uh, you know, working very late and, and kind of stretching oneself and always being tired and having to rely on substances to keep on going. And so that's, you know, that's a fairly popular cliche, but, um, but when you look at research, it actually goes against what you're trying to achieve as a creative person. Uh, if you really want to be creative, you should get between seven and nine hours of sleep. Um, and that's when you're going to be, um, uh, the, the most efficient, basically, that's when you're going to be able to connect ideas and feel more creative and more productive. So, so these are the topics that I'm, that I'm talking about mainly. Um, and, uh, and then twice a month, uh, I send a newsletter still about creativity where I curate articles, um, prompts, uh, I share some of my thoughts. Sometimes I share some of my articles, but not all the time. Um, and again, it's, it's a way for me to share what I find and, and what I think about in public, right? It's, um, these are the things that I've been thinking about and finding on Twitter and elsewhere over the past two weeks. And I want to share that with you because, because I find them valuable and interesting. No, that makes sense. I want to return to the sleep idea. I think this is interesting. Mm -hmm. So I, <laughs> thanks to a good sativa, I finally had the, about the first decent night's sleep I've had in about six months. In fact, I was almost late to this because I did not want to get out of bed. Um, I was just <laughs> so comfy and cozy, and it was lovely. And it's very cloudy and rainy here today in Seattle. And, um, <laughs> and, and it, was, it was just amazing how absolutely 110% better I feel. I have not felt this good in six months. And I finally had one decent night's sleep. It is remarkable. Like, and it's just, I, I don't think people appreciate how important good sleep is. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, and the effects of, uh, of sleep de deprivation happen pretty fast and are pretty drastic, right? So you're gonna see some effects on your, on your productivity, on your creativity, but your, your immune system, even after one night of like five hours of sleep, your immune system takes a big hit. Uh, and that's, that's not something that people feel in their body necessarily. Uh, you're still functional. You can still have a, you know, perfectly fine professional life and social life, and you can still maintain that kind of, um, um, that kind of sleep cycle, sleep pattern. Uh, we also live in a culture where, you know, coffee is very central, uh, in the workplace, right. And yeah. outside of the workplace, there's a, there's a coffee culture in the U S and that's another way that you kind of mess up your body and you mess up your sleep cycle. So again, you know, 
you can perfectly operate fine with five or six hours. But if you look into it, if, if you read the research, you're actually doing yourself a disservice and, and you're going to pay, you're going to pay for it one way or another. Yeah, it was, I, I totally agree. And it's kind of an odd thing because I never thought much about it because I was always someone who could kind of go to sleep anywhere, anytime kind of thing. And then I find like post turning 33 years ago, um, all of a sudden I kind of started having some weird sleep issues and it was like, my body was like, oh, you've had five hours. That's enough. You're good. You know, sort of thing. Or <laughs> seven hours. That's enough. You're good. Um, and I was, you know, it's just kind of, it kind of sucks to be always tired all the time. And I yeah, feel like, yeah. you know, I feel like a lot of people right now, there's a huge, and I'm sure you've seen this. There's a huge kind of cult of productivity and everyone's trying to biohack or take a supplement or do whatever to increase productivity and I feel like of all the things people are optimizing, the one thing they are not optimizing is sleep. It's very true. And it's of all the things and pills they take and microdosing LSD and all this type of thing, they would probably be better served and would save a fortune if they would just optimize getting to sleep because it just changes your life. Absolutely. And I think that if you prioritize sleep in your in your life and your creative practice, uh, you get benefits beyond the one that we talked about, right? So if you want to have uh, a, a good night of sleep, you know, like a lot of recommendations say, start lowering your lights, you know, maybe an hour or two hours before. Um, don't look at screens for an hour before going to bed. Maybe read a book. So if you look at that, basically what it says, it says, you're not going to be on social, you know, you're going to be on social for one hour or less in your day because you have to prepare for sleep. Uh, you're going to use this time to read, which is so much more beneficial than being on social. So, so these are like side effects of trying to focus on your sleep and prioritizing sleep. So it's, it's a win-win situation, really. No, absolutely. In fact, it was kind of funny you should mention, uh, last night when I was at the beginning of this epic night of sleep, um, I, I actually was reading. I, I usually will watch shows and things before I fall asleep, whatever have you. Um, and I put the night blue light filter on the iPad and I, I will watch things. But last night, and I don't really know why, I was kind of like, oh, I have new things to read. I want to dive into them, all this sort of thing. Let me do some reading. And yeah, and it was, it, it quite, it led to much better, much better sleep. So I think it's a practice I should adopt as a general rule. So mm -hmm. I can, I can tell the listener, I am living proof. This does work. <laughs> so there's an excellent book that came out about three years ago, uh, called why we sleep by Matthew Walker. Yeah. Um, that actually came up by mattress. <laughs> oh really? Tuff, no way. Compton Needle sends that to you with your mattress. <laughs> amazing. Yes. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this is like, you know, research backed uh information about sleep. It's a fantastic book. You learn a lot. Uh it talks about sleep throughout uh different ages. You know, what what does it mean to lose your sleep uh when you're in your seventies, for instance? Why do you lose your sleep? Uh what should you do? Or you know, uh, why do teenagers uh go to bed later and have to wake up later, you know? And, and why the school schedule uh, is bad for teenagers because we don't respect uh, the nature of their sleep. It's a fantastic book. Yeah, yeah, yes, I, yes, I, I have not read it in its totality. 
I kind of picked it up in bits and pieces kind of along the way. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, no, science has shown high school shouldn't begin till about 10 a.m. And we should That's be right. totally okay with teenagers going to bed at like midnight. Like we completely need to shift. And I found that myself, like as I have gotten older, I'm like, it is no wonder older people find it easier to get up in the morning. I was, I could not do early mornings until I was in my mid twenties. Absolutely mm-hmm. could not do early yep. mornings. I was in my mid twenties. And because so much is going on developmentally in your brain and body until that time, you know, now if someone says, Oh, let's be somewhere at 7am. I'm not going to be happy about it. Cause I'm still a night owl at heart, but I can do that. Whereas like, if you told me at 17, be somewhere at 7am, that was very hard like the the will effort power to make that happen was just simply huge and um mm. yeah we're just not we i feel like so this is an area of our society where we are just not in natural harmony with our own circadian rhythms at all and it's to everyone's detriment yeah i couldn't agree more yeah it's amazing that there are not more car crashes and plane crashes and all that type of thing <laughs> um, you had mentioned about um, sort of a, a fulfilling, creative kind of life. I have spent my life working on the fine arts. Um, creativity for me is, it's lovely, but unfortunately, um, because I've done it my whole life, um, the pay is kind of very shit and all this sort of thing. And so I was wondering, as, for someone like yourself, what about creativity, a thing that I'm very tired of? <laughs> what is it for you that's really fulfilling? What do you get out of it? What charges your batteries? That's a good question. Um, I think what I get out of it is that I I need that. You know, it's not... I, I never made a conscious choice that, oh, you know what, to increase the quality of my my life, I should probably have a creative output. Like I don't have a choice. If I don't do it, I'm miserable and I make people around me miserable. So I need a creative outlet, right? And um, I have a background in classical music. So that's been my outlet for many, many years, but uh, I've, I've got other uh, ways to be creative. Um, and what I get out of it is just, just, just sheer happiness. It's just regardless of the quality of the output, regardless of the frequency of the output, it just makes me happy. Just sitting down and making stuff makes me happy. It's as simple as that. Um, but uh, but it, it took me about, you know, maybe 15 to 20 years to get to that point. Um, when I was studying composition, um, I was suffering from, you know, periods of creative block and uh, lots of doubts, lots of self-criticism. Um, and, and I think that with age and with practice, I was able to get rid of those uh, toxic patterns basically in my in my creative life and I, now i just i just enjoy it i just just enjoy what i'm doing um i think it's also linked to um the idea of success um when we talk about um you know if, if you take uh, your creative pursuits seriously and you want to uh, make a living through them or be professional um i feel that it's easy to get trapped in um, the cliches of a successful life, right? And, um, and I spent a lot of time thinking about what success meant for me. And, uh, and now that I have a better idea, it's easier for me to, to achieve success and happiness. 
uh, for me, it's really just living your values. Um, but I feel that a lot of people in creative uh, professions um, basically adopt um, like the, 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 the very common and cliche um, uh, idea of success, conception of success, and, and are very miserable because of that. And I think that um, people should spend more time understanding their own, uh, their own idea of success before engaging in those activities. Yeah, I mean, I guess that I, I, I perhaps may be guilty of that myself um, mm -hmm. in terms of it's a difficult, I, I started on a piece um, called um, What It's Like to Live in Seattle and Not Work in Tech, because I work in a town where everyone <laughs> works in, like, in technology in some form, and I do not. Um, and it's kind of like I'm some sort of weird creative anomaly sort of thing. Um, <laughs> and it's, you know, and it, it's very hard, you know, to, you know, kind of keep up with other people and, and what they care about and the things that they're going and doing and the fun they're having and all this sort of thing when that's just, you know, not where you are and you sort of want to, to go after that. And I think there's a lot of, I have seen a lot of people in my creative community get out of the arts as their primary profession because the economics of it are so stressful. And yeah. I think that's sad because as a culture, we are losing something when we cannot find a way to let people do this sort of thing full time because you get more quality art, you get more of it, all that type of thing. Um, in fact, you know, I heard, saw one woman the other day, she tweeted and said, I got out of the arts because I wanted to be in a profession in which I was allowed to get old. And she was mm -hmm. in music before. And I thought that was, yeah. that was interesting and sad at the same time, you know, in this kind of weird synergistic way. Um, and I, you know, it's just kind of a, an odd, an odd, sad sort of thing. So what would, I guess, for someone who's, was, you know, in music, all this type of thing. Um, what led you to expanding your view out of just being, like, how, when you, because you said you aren't getting caught in the trap of, of defining your success by other people. How did you avoid that trap yourself? And kind of what did you do to make sure you could be both creative and fulfilling and possibly not homeless? Although you could be for all we know. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm looking. I'm not. I'm not homeless. Um, um, well, I think you, you. I think you cannot define success for yourself until you really know how you fun how you function, how your mind works, uh, what brings you happiness, what uh, what is important to you. Um, so I, I learned a lot through journaling. Uh, you know, again, going back to journaling, but that was a way for me to understand what kind of values I wanted to live that would bring me to happiness. Um, so that that's 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 the first thing. Um, and then also um, kind of understanding where you fall in the creative spectrum, like in the creative profession spectrum, right? Yeah. Um, you could you could you could still have a creative um, activity, practice, professional or not, 
um, but but it could it could be just like a a fraction of your time, right? right. Um, maybe you know you get what you need out of your creative practice by just doing it five hours a week, and that's totally fine, you know. Uh, and and maybe if that's the case, maybe you shouldn't feel guilty about it. Maybe you should you know uh, maybe you should accept that and embrace it and just be happy that that's all it takes for you to be happy in your creative life. It's just five hours. Um, I attended a, a talk years and years ago in the city, in New York City, and um, and and the speaker was talking about um, was asking the audience like, where do you fall? Like, what's your what's your role in in this creative world? Are you a are you a producer? Are you a creator? Are you a supporter? And uh, and that really kind of struck a chord with me because at the time I was, you know, struggling to write music that I liked and uh, get it played. But I was also interested in, in uh, music journalism and, um, and then something clicked when this, when this person said that, and I said, wow, maybe right now at this, at this point of my life, I'm not necessarily a creator or producer, but I'm going to be a supporter of, 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 um, creative pursuits basically. Um, and that's that's how I started the my magazine called I Care If You Listen uh, about ten years ago, uh, and that that's that's just what got me into it. Realizing okay, this is where I fall right now in the spectrum of possible professions and activity um, in creativity. And um, I, I got a lot of relief to you know like accepting this position gave me a lot of relief. Um, now the the magazine was acquired in September, so now. I feel that I'm switching from from being a supporter and promoter to to more of a creator. I can allow myself to be more of a creator now, uh, and that that brings me a lot of joy. Yeah, no, that is that's quite amazing and and remarkable. And it's, it's just as someone who has ran and lost three publications, I can say what you accomplished hmm. was a huge lift, a huge lift. Because there's a lot of us that you know don't make it <laughs> and <laughs> come and go, <laughs> so it's amazing that you were able to make that to make that something. Uh, I I enjoy myself. I enjoy writing about music. Um, in fact, I there's this rapper in New York I interviewed before named Cole King, and uh, he's he said you are, would be a really great music journalist, but you write too much about politics. Um, <laughs> what is what do you think is the most difficult part about writing about music? Um, wow, that's a really good question, Cameron. Um, I try. <laughs> For me, writing writing about music, you know, in, in the context of music criticism, of course, I'm not talking about music scholarship. In the context of criticism, it's finding the right balance between what I like and how important it is in this piece and what I don't like and how irrelevant it is in this piece, right? Um, because I feel that if you want to be fair to what you're reviewing, uh, your choice should, your, your personal taste should only um, be part of the equation for, for like a, you know, a certain amount of, of the review itself. Um, I think the risk, if, if you just write everything based on your personal taste and, and try not to understand that maybe that piece that you don't understand or that, that you're, you have a strong reaction against, you're doing yourself a disservice, you're doing your readership a disservice. So 
um, so that's what what's that that's what's very hard for me. Yeah, um, it's easier when I know that I enjoy something a hundred percent. It's more challenging when I write about something that is not my everyday cup of tea uh, because the extra work that I have to do is. But, but the, why is it? Why this is not my cup of tea, right? How can I articulate this? How can I analyze this? And how can I see the value in something that I maybe don't understand and don't appreciate yet? Uh, so, you know, it's, it's writing and learning at the same time and questioning yourself at the same time. And I think this yields to better music journalism, but it's also very hard to do because, uh, because you involve yourself in the process. And there's also this, uh, introspection in the process that makes it very hard. Yes. I, when I write about music, I am very interested in stories. Like, and that's my writing in general. I'm very interested in the story, in people's mm -hmm. specific stories. And, and particularly, I'm interested in the lived experience of trauma. That's what I tend to write about. Mm -hmm. um, not usually my own, okay. other people's. Um, mm -hmm. And so when I usually approach, you know, music or artists or this type of thing, I'm very interested in their story, how they got to where they are, you know, what their first big break was, if they're still waiting for it, all this type of thing. I find it nearly mm -hmm. impossible to write about music itself, which I think is weird because I also have a classical background and I feel like I should be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But but somehow writing about a track, like the production of it and all that type of thing, no. But the story of the people that made it, I'm, I'm there for four hours. Like I will happily <laughs> listen to them talk and, and all this type of thing. So it's... Um, yeah, it's an odd, it's an odd, odd sort of, odd sort of thing. So while we're, yeah. I mean, I think it's a valid, I think it's a valid lens. It's a valid way to get into the music and talk about it, you know? So I think, I think that's remarkable. Yeah. I mean, that's always kind of been like with Cole, the person I've talked with the most in the music industry, it's always been about, you know, his story of being like a white dude rapper in Saratoga, New York. And making his way down to the city. I know. It's, it's, you would never suspect you would, this would where he would come from. But here we are. Um, and all this sort of thing. And just kind of his, his ongoing sort of, you know, sort of story and what he's done. And YouTube videos and all that type of thing. I think that's, that's fascinating. Um, especially when people get mm -hmm. traction on it. You know, because I think that's you know, just incredibly incredibly interesting so speaking of of music though quick sidebar any sort of music that's <laughs> standing out to you right now that's very interesting um that's standing out right now that's interesting i tend to revisit old stuff <laughs> a lot um maybe it's because i had to write about new stuff and very very new stuff for such a long time um, but I tend to revisit old stuff and kind of expand my knowledge of old stuff. Um, something that I love about music is that uh, you can you can discover a lot by um, by looking at the affiliation. Like, you know, what are the influences of this artist that I really like? Uh, where did he get this sound? Where did she, what did she get this sound? What did they get this sound? Um, and and who did they influence? Um, so so that's always a way for me to. Um, uh, to learn more and expand what I, what I know. 
Um, but otherwise, lately, I've been listening a lot to uh, Fortet. Um, I think their latest album is called Parallel. Um, and I'm kind of obsessed with this album. Um, I've been listening a lot to uh, Aldous Harding and also uh, Jake Blunt, uh, who's also a, a great artist. So these are the ones that are kind of uh, in rotation and that are kind of recent. Uh, otherwise, a lot of older stuff um, and a lot of traditional music. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of funny. You're one of the few people I know who is also into kind of more traditional music. I grew up really not being allowed to listen to pop. So, like, my high school soundtrack was, like, Irish folk music. That's what I listened to. <laughs> um, or, like, Spanish guitarist Johannes Lindstedt when I was 17. Sounded wonderful. Um, <laughs> very odd sort of, sort of thing. So my music taste now um, will be kind of like, oh, here's a top 40 music tune, then here's some opera, then here's a Nunia from Ireland doing The Maid of Coolmore, and then we'll jump back to, like, Electric Light Orchestra from the 70s. All of these things just sort <laughs> of jumbled together. Um, I, I did kind of recently discover the mid to late 70s, and I joked with my mother, I'm like, I'm invading your generation's music, scoot over, because some of this stuff is actually really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then she started giving me recommendations. Well, have you listened to these folks who are really popular? And so she just kind of filled my playlist just with suggestions, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. That is yeah, cool. A lot of That's fun. awesome. So it was, and yeah, and it was, my her, my, her sister, my Aunt Nina, is really... She was a she was a big disco person, and so for her, like anything the Bee Gees ever touched is amazing, sort of thing. And so it's just very <laughs> odd. And meanwhile, her sister, my mother, is anti disco. Can't you know two people related, very musical tastes, very far apart. It's a very odd. Yeah, it's a very odd thing. It's a very odd thing. And yeah, it's it's very, very weird and very, very very strange. So, it's. Music is weird. What what people get into and what people don't get into. I think it's. I've always wanted to try to correlate like music tastes and personalities, but it never works because people you would never suspect would be into something are really into it, and people that you think should be into something are not at all. It's odd. Yeah. What gets people going? And it doesn't seem to make any sense it seems to be truly random it's one of those things so mm -hmm. but it's yeah excellent well we're coming up to the end which means now is an excellent chance to do plugs where can we find you online how can we learn more about your journaling sure um so my website is thomasdeneville.com um and if that's too hard to spell you can find me on twitter where i am T-D-N-V-L, T-D-N-V-L. Uh, I've got the same uh, anchor for Insta. And um, my journaling course is on my website. Um, it's a 14-day journaling course that you can take through um, SMS, so text, or WhatsApp. Um, I love the medium. Uh, I was considering trying to do an email series, but, uh, but there's such an intimate connection with text um, that I that I, I wanted to try this. Uh, so far, the feedback has been very good. Uh, people en enjoy getting text at the 
the same time every day for, for two full weeks, um, getting some lessons, getting some prompts, uh, being able to answer questions. So, um, so that's been very fun. So, um, I invite you to give it a try. If yeah, you want excellent. To. And we'll put the link to all that in the show notes. So nobody needs to figure Thank out how you. to, how to spell that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> spell my last name. So excellent. <laughs> well, thank you so much for stopping by the Cameron Journal podcast. Thank you for having me. That was amazing. Perfect. Awesome. I love it. We'll do it. Oh, I'm sorry we got <laughs> off track on the end, but music is always fascinating and I always like talking about it. So I know we. No, no, that's totally fine. The that's totally fine. Bit, but yeah. So, excellent. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, thank you much. Thank you very much for coming and doing the show. And that was absolutely fascinating. And we'll link everything in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I have already got, I do interviews. I run interviews every Monday. And I am already booked out to March. <laughs> so. Whoa, yes, that's I've cool. I've been doing a lot of interviews over in the last couple of weeks. And so. I am already out to March. So unfortunately, although you're recording this now, it will not come out until March. Um, so, um, but I will let you know when it does come out. Um, but do feel free to keep an eye on the okay. feed. Just any podcast app you use, just search the Cameron Journal podcast. I come right up. Um, sure. Yeah. And, so, yeah, and I have good. some other writers and things coming up from the writing community. So it's a good thing to follow anyway. But yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll keep an eye out. I mean, I want to be able to promote, uh, you know, the show through my newsletter yeah. and on social. So yeah, I'll keep excellent. an eye on yeah, the feed. Okay. I will, I will try to make sure to eat, to message you when it comes out. Um, sometimes I get to you. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes there's a slight delay, but also keep an eye out on the feed. And so if we work together, we'll accomplish our goal. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, thank you right. so much. I really Talk appreciate soon. it. That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners, so please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Callen on Twitter. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal Podcast.